Turn with me to 1 Peter. 1 Peter. I'm a visual type guy, and so I've got, I've got something here I want to show you. I have some chocolate-covered almonds. There's, as you can see, there's not many left because our family really enjoys these. Uh, product of Kirkland, Costco, right? So uh, we enjoy these, and uh, dad, my dad's gracious enough. Oftentimes when he goes to Costco, he'll bring back one of these and brings them right up to Kim and says, Here, Kim, for you. But we all eat them, so we enjoy these. What are some things that you think about when you think about a chocolate-covered almond? Okay, no long stories, but just something quick. What do you think about when you think about a chocolate-covered almond? Crunchy. 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 Temptation? Somebody said temptation? No, no, this is a gift. This is a gift of God, right? (laughs) What else? Sweet. Delicious. Rich. Faith? Hungry. Hungry. I was like, here, pastor, I need some of those, right? All right, so this was not rehearsed. We'll see if uh, Ben and Catherine uh, put on the spot, come through. But anything else that you all think of, Ben and Catherine, when you think of a chocolate-covered almond? Bee pollination. Give them a hand, folks. Give them a hand. That's exactly how I was hoping he would answer. Okay. I promise this was not rehearsed. I didn't say anything to them this morning. Did anybody else, when you were thinking about chocolate-covered almonds, did anybody else think about, oh, yes, bee pollination? Nobody. All right, I want you to see the next, the next slide here. So this gives you an idea of how important, and I, I'm learning. Every time Ben and Catherine come through, I learn a little bit more because Ben's family, their, their family business, uh, have been honeybees. And so they uh, have, I think, uh, just recently shipped uh, seven truckloads, roughly, of honeybees to Florida from Wisconsin. The honeybees will stay in Florida for a while and then go back to Wisconsin. But they also, a select number of these honeybees, will also take a trip to California, okay? So some of them are going to be shipped out to California to help pollinate the almond trees, In California, there's 1.7 million pollinated acres, um, and and much of that, or maybe all of that, is almonds. Okay, that is a lot of almonds. Now, way beyond that, there's many more things that depend on bees for pollination. So in essence, there is no chocolate-covered almonds without honeybees like that comes from Ben's uh, family business. But other things like apples, cherries, melons, blueberries, pumpkins, avocados, squash, uh, sunflowers, and, and all of these, you know, as bees are transported all around the, the states, I mean, look up in, uh, to the north there, North Dakota, 2.3 million pollinated acres. Uh, you've got down in Florida, 617,000 pollinated acres. And these, these arrows just show how, how truckers uh, take these bees all over the nation. The Department of Agriculture estimates that about one-third of our diet depends on honeybee pollination. That's incredible. That's incredible. So next slide will kind of, what have I just described to you? I've just described in a small way um, kind of the supply chain. 
We, we heard a lot about supply chain during the pandemic. You know, the supply chain's broken, and so there's, you can't get this, and you can't get that. And you go to a wings place, and you're like, oh, we're out of wings. I mean, you know, all these really important things of life, but the supply chain was disrupted. There were things that happened. And as we see here in a, just a kind of a simple way, uh, an interesting way, how bees are part of that, truck drivers are part of that, and there's so many things that I never imagined uh, when I opened up a thing of chocolate-covered almonds went before this went on the shelf at Costco because of, in part, all of the things that have to do with the supply chain. Now, what does this have to do, Pastor, with First Peter and with being a fulfillment of God's eternal plan of redemption? Well, I'm glad you asked. So think about this. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve were created. Uh, in Genesis chapter 3, we see the fall of man. They cho- we say fall, but they chose to sin, and even today, 2023, uh, be careful not to use that vocabulary in your, in your mind in a sense that we don't necessarily fall into sin, we choose it. It is a choice that we make, but when that choice was made, God already had an eternal plan of redemption in motion, and he announced that to Adam and Eve all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. In prophesying uh, that, yes, uh, the serpent, Satan, would, would, uh, would you know, bruise man, would harm man, but that Christ would, in essence, conquer uh, Satan. And we see all then throughout the Old Testament, we see prophets like Isaiah prophesying that. So God sent prophets to talk about the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the Redeemer. And then God sent his son, Jesus Christ, God the Son, part of the Trinity, for him to be God with us, Emmanuel. For him to declare then as in living form as he took on the form of flesh uh, to say, this is why I came, that you would believe in me. Beyond that, then the disciples were sent. Some while Christ was still doing his ministry here on earth, uh, but then even after the ascension of Jesus Christ, many more disciples were, were sent out. We still had the early you know, apostles, the early church uh, sent that out. But then as part of that, the gospel message eventually was sent to you and to me. So I want some more involvement here. If you could think of, now, probably God used several people in your life to bring you to the point of accepting Christ as your Savior. But if you can think of one person quickly and just say their name. Who, who did God use or what one person did God use of many uh, to bring you to the saving knowledge of Christ? Who was it? Linda? Tom? Michael? Amen, me. Okay, great. Thank you, son. Anybody else? Paul? Clayton? Jean? Genis. Genis. Okay, who else? Mom? Dad? Justin? Isn't this cool? I, we don't know all of these people, but that was all part of God's eternal plan of redemption that all the way back, uh, way before we can even ever imagine and understand, the eternal plan of redemption was set in motion. God told Adam and Eve, yes, you, you, you have chosen sin, uh, but blood was already shed as, as kind of a symbol then of what Christ would do uh, as the Messiah, as the ultimate and final sacrifice, as the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world we see in John chapter 1. But then that, that goes through, that it continues, and the supply chain of the gospel has not been disrupted. God uses us. God could use anything. He could do it in a number of different ways. But in his sovereignty, in his mercy, in his grace, he's given us the privilege to be part of that process. Look with me in John chapter 17 as we kind of follow this a little bit. John chapter 17 and verse 1. <clears throat> 
So when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, this, verse three, is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And then jump to verse eight of John chapter 17. For I've given them the words that you gave me and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you and they have believed that you sent me. Verse 18 now, John 17. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Who is them? It's us. Yes, it was initially the disciples that were hearing that, but it's in, in turn, it continues to be us as believers of Christ. Notice how Paul puts this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 5. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed. It's the Justins, it's the Pauls, it's the dads, it's the, you know, the Genesis. It's all of these people, servants through whom you believed. People have been part of that process to bring you to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And God wants us to be part of that process as well. A fulfillment of God's eternal plan of redemption. We continue on in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Thank God that it's not on my shoulders to, to make this happen. As I'm faithful, as I, as I present this, the, the gospel, God does the work. I'm the messenger. I just get to tell people about all that God has done. You get that? That's past tense. All that he's done. Not that what we have to do uh, to, to earn that or to be worthy, but all that Christ has done, and I get to announce that to them as the Messiah. I planted Apollos water, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants, verse 7, nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to to his labor. Then verse 9. This is, I hope you get the, the tremendous privilege that we have of being called what we see in verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers. I've worked with some, some very special people in the past, and I do now. I'm, I'm privileged to have phenomenal volunteers and brothers and sisters in Christ that we can join arms with and, and serve but I'm going to tell you, nobody compares with God as a coworker. But God calls us his coworkers, his fellow workers. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. So this is where I want to jump back into 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to pick up in verse 12. Pick up in verse 12. We've already talked about the reason for living hope in the first few verses. Jesus Christ, he's the redeemer. We've talked about the response uh, to living hope. The result of living hope is that we have an inheritance that's guarded in heaven, can never be taken from us uh, as soon as we become a, a believer, a child of God. The revealing of living hope, we looked last week at how it was foretold by the prophets. This is not just a new scheme. It's not like this the newest thing on the market. This has, has just been God's continual revealing plan of his uh, redemptive purposes through Christ. And now we see it's spread by the disciples and the early church, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 12. It was revealed to them, this is the prophets, that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So the Old Testament prophets, Isaiah and many others included, 
They, they knew that the Messiah would come and they, they had prophecies. We're actually gonna look at one of those in Isaiah during the Lord's Supper. And there were some specific prophecies about the coming of the Messiah, but they didn't understand everything about how that would come to pass. And so they were curious about that and they looked into that and they studied that, but they didn't fully understand. But they, they did, God gave them the understanding that really they were serving us in the sense that this was a message that would come to pass, be fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the Messiah. But then it goes on and kind of continues this plan. Things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So the message that had been prophesied for centuries is then passed on to the disciples. We see this in Acts 1.8. You'll see it up on the screen. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. We go to the very next chapter, the day of Pentecost, and Peter begins to, to preach the gospel. He says in Acts chapter 2 and verse 14, But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. Jump to verse 16, the latter part of that. This is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. The disciple of Jesus Christ is pointing back to the prophet and saying, This has been announced. This is not a new message. This is only a fulfillment of all that's been announced and specifically what you've heard through the prophet Joel. Now verse 21 of Acts chapter 2. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 29. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, and now jump to verse 31, that he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. Peter, what Peter's doing here is saying, listen, this, the way that you, that you all know Jews as, as this thing, you know, the people are following the way, this isn't new. This was prophesied in the scriptures that you have and that you've studied. That's, Jesus even said himself, those are the things that testify of me. And Peter's saying, Joel prophesied about that. David prophesied about these things. These are the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Old Testament. Now notice verse 36 of Acts 2. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord, remember, that's, that's master, has made him both master, Lord, and Christ, Messiah, the promised one, the anointed one, this Jesus whom you crucified. Next verse, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then verse 40, 41. This is, this is key too. This is a little bit of a, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give a little bit of plug for the sequence of salvation. And you see this all throughout the New Testament. Notice the sequence, don't miss it. Acts 2, 41. So those who received his word were baptized. Those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So that's Peter. Peter, who was timid at times. Peter, who made just a, 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 a fool of himself at times with what he said. But God was using and filling him with the Holy Spirit to preach at the day of Pentecost, point back to the prophets of the Old Testament, bring it to this day and say, this is all a fulfillment of God's eternal plan. But it wasn't just Peter was the other followers of Christ as well. As Saul 
who we now know as Paul, as Saul was persecuting the church and others with him, uh, we see that it says in Acts chapter 8 that many then fled. The apostles stayed back in Jerusalem initially, initially, but many of them left that area. And it says, and took the gospel with them, took the word of the Lord with them, followers of Christ. In Acts chapter 8, uh, we also see Philip. We, we mentioned this briefly last week, but Acts chapter 8 and verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. One of those then was Philip. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. You may remember from last week, the Ethiopian eunuch was reading in the book of Isaiah, and he asked Philip when Philip uh, showed up, you know, who's this man talking about, himself or someone else? And we see in Acts chapter 8 and verse 35, it says, Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Used the Old Testament passage, used Isaiah, and with that, starting there, he told him about the good news about Jesus. Verse 40 of Acts 8, But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Paul, we read about Paul's conversion. It says that he was a chosen instrument to carry the name of Christ before the Gentiles. So notice now in verse 19 how Paul begins to obey. In taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And then verse 20, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, He is the Son of God. Many times companies, as they continue to do business, Companies will often announce, if they've been around for a while, they'll often put on their website, they may put on their vans, they may put on their business card or any promotion. They may say stuff like this, you know, sent, uh, using or servicing AC, uh, HVAC since 1912. You know, and people are like, wow, over 100 years? Was there AC back in 1912? April's like, no, pastor, you have messed up. So bad illustration. But in the sense, they want to announce, we've been in business this long. And that's why we have the credibility. What we see throughout Scripture, this, this is not a new thing. And it's prophesied, it's fulfilled in Christ, the disciples were sent, Peter talks about it, Paul points back to that, and we have the privilege then to carry that on. We have the, the awesome opportunity then to be ambassadors and to carry that message forward. Now notice the last part of verse 12 of 1 Peter. This is cool. It's not only foretold by the prophets, it's not only carried on and spread out by the disciples in the early church, but it's examined by the angels. 1 Peter 1 verse 12, it says in the end of that uh, verse, it says, things into which angels long to look. Things into which angels long to look. I mentioned it to some of you before, but, I, but it's, it's probably one of the favorite phone calls I've ever gotten in my life. When Wilson called me one night after church and he said, Pastor, the angels are having a party in heaven. I said, why? He said, because my mother-in-law just accepted Christ as her Savior. And, I said, and he said, and, and, and you taught that, that the angels celebrate when a sinner repents. I said, that's exactly right. That's what we see in Luke 15, 10. The angels celebrate the salvation of the lost. Just so, Luke 15, 10 says, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The angels are having a party in heaven. But the angels worship also the Savior of the lost. So they celebrate the salvation of the lost, but they also worship the Savior of the lost. 
Jump in with me in a, in a prophecy that we have in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. This is something that will take, take pass. It will be fulfilled. And notice where the angels are in this event and in this worship time in Revelation chapter 7. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Now, I want to notice, I want to just, just note real quick, the idea about One Hope Church reflecting Christ well in our community and praying that our community would be reflected in our church, it's based out of Revelation chapter 7. This is a picture of what heaven is supposed to be like. And we want to be a small window of that in Metro Atlanta. As the reconciling power of the gospel brings nations together, brings even language barriers together, that we may worship Christ together. Notice now verse 10 of Revelation 7. Crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So here we have redeemed who are worshiping and singing. And as Don said, if we have enough, so much fun worshiping on Sundays, may we do that all, all day long and 24-7. And there will come a time that we will live eternally in a spirit of worship. No, I don't think we're going to be standing you know, all, for all of eternity just singing. But we're going to be worshiping in so many different ways our Savior for all of eternity. We see a glimpse of this here. But notice what happens next. It says, and all the angels, verse 11, and all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God. Verse 12, saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, amen. The angels don't quite get and, and, and have the full impact of everything that we do as, as the redeemed. They look into this. They, they long to kind of understand completely and they, they worship God and they, their God is, uses them in a, in a phenomenal way in ways that you and I probably never will fully understand this side of heaven for sure. But the song of the redeemed is God's favorite song of all. In fact, the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir sings that. Notice some of the words as you see up on the screen. He loves to hear the, the wind sing and it whistles through the pines on the mountain peaks. And he loves to hear the raindrops as they splash to the ground in a magic melody. He smiles in sweet approval as the waves crash through the rocks in harmony. And creation joins in unity to sing to him majestic symphonies. But his favorite song of all is the song of the redeemed. When lost sinners, now made clean, lift their voices loud and strong. When those purchased by his blood lift to him a song of love. There's nothing more he'd rather hear, nor so pleasing to his ear, as his favorite song of all. And he loves to hear the angels as they sing, Holy, holy is the Lamb. Heaven's choirs in harmony lift up praises to the great I am. But he lifts his hands for silence. When the weakest saved by grace, begins to sing. And a million angels listen. And a newborn soul sings, I've been redeemed. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes as we finish this morning?